Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna DiMedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. Hello, I am back with a slightly less raspy voice for this intro. It was still alive and well during the interview. This is still was still hanging on from my weekend in Vegas. Lots of loud music, a lot of screaming over the music, a lot of screaming just in general because it was a group with all my girls and we were together finally again for, gosh, the first time in a really long time. But anyway... Back to a regular voice as of now. Uh, This is my last week in Laguna Beach. By the time you hear this, I'll already be back on the East Coast, moving back to Jersey for a little bit. Probably be there for the extent of the summer. And then we'll figure out our next adventure. I hope it was fun for you guys coming along with me on all the uh, different locations that I was in. We'll do some traveling again this summer, so I'll let you know where I'm at. Today's episode. We're talking about child loss. And even for me, I've been in this world of grief and death. And this is just one that like, I just don't I'm right, I'm speechless. Like, I don't know what to say. It's just so unnatural for this to happen for someone to lose a child. The guest is Jessica Roomberg. Jessica is incredible. So a little background, I do talk about it in the episode. Her and I worked together. We weren't colleagues at the same company, but the work that we did kind of intersected. So we knew of each other. And then all of a sudden, the terrible news spread around the industry. And she lost her 17 month old beautiful baby girl, Mila. She'll go into what happened. It's incredibly informative. It's inspiring. And it's a story of a beautiful soul, a beautiful baby girl. I do want to make sure I note this, that Jessica reached out to me after the interview and said she realized she didn't say this during the time that we were talking, but she wanted me to include it in my intro because she felt it was very important for people to know that she is happy. Child loss is something that she deals with every single day. What happened to Mila will always be with her, but she has found happiness in her life. That is something I try to impart on all of you with everything that I do and so sorry for your loss. If it's the sad episodes, the happy episodes, the funny, ridiculous episodes, grief is all of those things. No matter what type of loss you go through, life can go on. It is very possible I don't know how long it will take you, whether it's one month, five years, whatever, but humans don't walk around not being able to feel anything for the rest of their life. Think about that. If that were true, there'd be millions and millions of people who were just zombies because so many people have had a loss. What happens is that grief never leaves you. Grief is always there, but it changes and it changes you. Grief just changes you. Sometimes it's for the better. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's hard to see it until years later. But do not tell yourself that grief completely destroys who you are because it doesn't. Don't let it. And we won't let you. We're here at So Sorry for Your Loss, whether it's me, whether it's any of my guests that I've had on, I'm sure all are willing to talk with you. If you are feeling like you are completely destroyed and there is no way out of this, please reach out to me because I don't want anyone to feel that way. Whew. Okay, heavy stuff out of the way. 
I want to make you aware of a couple things before we get into the interview with Jessica. May, we're in the first week of May now. It's NF Awareness Month. NF1, neurofibromatosis, is the disease that Jessica's daughter was diagnosed with that led to some of her other health complications. Perfect timing. Maybe go read up on that a little bit. Neurofibromatosis Awareness Month. Make sure that you are aware of what the signs and symptoms are. Maybe you'll find an organization that speaks to you around NF that you want to donate to. And maybe one of them is the Magical Mila Foundation. That's right. Jessica started a foundation with her husband. Just absolutely beautiful work. That's where she really got me. I really started crying in the middle of this episode because she was just so passionate about the work that she's doing. Magical Mila Foundation, I will link to this in the show notes. They are having a fundraiser on Friday, August 5th at Maynard's in Margate Beach in New Jersey. So if you're around there and you want to check it out or you know you want to meet a celeb, aka one of the guests from the show, Jessica will certainly be there. I'm going to try to be there. It's a great cause. They've raised, actually, I'm not going to spill the beans because it's in the episode. Wait till you see how much money they've raised for all the great work that they do at CHOP. And that's another quick thing I want to mention because we reference CHOP so many times in this episode. And no, we're not talking about the show Chopped. We are talking about CHOP as in Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. For us, we're from Philadelphia. It's just like the acronym. Everybody just says CHOP. You know what you're referring to. But Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, it's ranked like the number one children's hospital in the country almost every year, if not every year. It is an incredible campus. It's incredibly beautiful major, major miracle stories that come out of this place. And Jess and her husband have done amazing work with them to make sure that other families have the support they need if they're going through something similar to what they did with their daughter, Mila. Also coming up in a few weeks, May 12th, Jessica has got all of Philadelphia on board with the Magical Mila Foundation, and they are going to light up the buildings in Philadelphia. They call it Philly for Millie. They're all going to go pink for her. It's so freaking cute. I will share pictures of that on my Instagram when that goes live. Again, follow me on Instagram at so sorry with Gianna. Always available for you to DM me there. Please head over to Apple Podcasts. Would really appreciate if you rate and review the podcast. Not only helps me, but helps other people be able to find the podcast. Would love if you could give me five stars. Would love if you could leave a review or maybe comment something funny there. Comment something that you've learned from any of my episodes. Whatever you want to do to get my attention. And I'll give you a shout out in one of the next episodes. Here we go. Jess Roomberg incredible in your career. You were with Fox 29 local news for 10 years. You were an executive producer and an Emmy winner. Is that yes. like up there on your mantle somewhere showing that off? Cause it should be. Oh, actually, I don't even know where it is. I think it's stuff somewhere in my basement. It's horrible. Oh my gosh. I would have <laughs> that just I like am- out on the kitchen counter, like in between the salt and the pepper. Hilarious. I am really proud of it, but I have no idea where it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. I probably go look for it. And then most importantly, you are a mother to Mila, Liam, and Meadow. And that is what we are here to speak about today because unfortunately, Mila is no longer with us. And just an incredible story you have to share of, of strength and and growth and what you've accomplished with the Magical Mila Foundation you're going to tell us all about. And yeah. I mean, at the root of it all, devastating sadness and grief. And it's just horrible that you had to go through this. It absolutely sucks. I wish there was more that I could do, but I am so thankful to you to be sharing your story and the things that you've learned and the things that have helped you here, because it will certainly help other people that are going through the same, but it's grief in itself is completely taboo and not talked about when it comes to a child certainly not talked about. I'm sure you feel that even deeper than than the rest of us. So I guess I will say I'll say this. I'm having this interview with you now at 
a time when my daughter is 17 months old. Mm -hmm. And that is the age that Mila was when you lost her. And I realized I'm like, oh my, this is like, how am I going to feel during this? Like, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's not about me. It's not about the person. And, and that's the thing with grief too, is like, it's not contagious. Right. Like the quote that I always bring up, you cannot get pregnant by talking about babies, <laughs> you cannot die by talking about death. And I'm sure in your experience that people shy away from talking about it with you because it's like, they're so scared to even bring it upon themselves, which is like incredibly, incredibly selfish, obviously, when you think about it. So in all of this, I hope that we're opening up a broader conversation about it by you sharing your experience. And it will just have people further understand that this is not something that can be caught, or something that's going to bring it on to your own life. And quite frankly, that in talking, we're only helping the people heal more. So I I can't thank you enough for for being willing to to share your story today. Thank you so much for having me. And everything you just said is spot on. One of the things I definitely want to say is that like, you should never be afraid to bring up a lost child to a parent, because even though it's sad, it also allows that parent to know that you were thinking of that child that day. And whenever Mila is brought up to me, the first thing that comes to my heart is a smile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The first, it warms my heart just to hear her name. So you're not making me sad by bringing her up. Please bring her up to me. I'll talk about her all day, every day, if I can. So that is definitely something that I I'm so glad that you brought up because it, if anything, like that helps a parent to heal by talking about their child. Yeah. And I, you know, people have said to me before, like, oh, I wanted to mention X, Y, Z about your dad, but I I didn't want to bring it up at the time because I didn't want to make you sad. And I'm like, similar to what you just said, you could never make me sad by bringing up my dad. Like, I think people think they're reminding you of it when the reality is like, we think about it all day long. So I love the opportunity to talk about him. Mm -hmm. Now, similarly, even though that is my experience with my parent loss, I I'm still like, oh, but I don't know if that's how someone who lost a child is going to feel because these losses are so incredibly different. And I will never stand here and say that you and I are the same because of the losses that we went through. Yes, Mm -hmm. we share a common bond and that we have a grief and we lost someone very close to us. But child loss is just completely different. So I at least that's my take. I'd love to hear your take if, if you feel that is the case as well. It's totally different. And I think like one of the main things when talking to people and they could be like, oh, I can relate because I've lost a parent or I've lost so-and-so. Well, actually, no, this is a totally different level of loss and grief. It's an unbearable feeling. It's not the order of life, right? You know, at some point that you're going to lose a parent, that you're going to lose someone who's older, a grandparent. When you have a child, you expect to take care of that child until you pass away, until you die. And you never, ever, ever think that you are going to have to bury a child. And when it happens to you, when it happened to me, I can't speak for anybody else, but I went into the darkest place that you can go to. And you feel everything from just full on depression to like you failed And that's how I felt most days. Like I failed, I would wake up and I would just every day go through the journey in my head over and over again, from the time she was born until the time I lost her, like 
what could I have done differently? How could I have saved her? And that's what I struggle with still to this day. Like I wake up and my instinct is to go to Mila, right? My firstborn, Mm -hmm. go to Mila, what's Mila doing? And then I process, oh, right, Mila's not here. Go check on Liam, my second born, go check on Meadow, my third born. So it's like, it's your whole, everything's thrown off. It's just a impossible feeling. And it's, it's awful. And it's something that I deal with every day. And it's something that I know I'll deal with for the rest of my life, right? Mm -hmm. There's no getting over this. Mm -hmm. And that's something else I need people to realize. There's no getting over this. There's no moving on. You can only move forward. And that's what I try to do. And I have still found ways to honor Mila and to be able to parent her still, if you will, in little things that I do each day, but to not have her physically and to not be able to hold my three babies at the same time. Those are things that kill me. Yeah. Honestly, kill me. You've found incredible ways to honor her. And we're going to get into that in a little bit in the foundation that you started. But I want you to tell me about her. Tell me about Mila. So the the connection for the for the listeners, the connection with Jess and I here is that we used to work together of sorts. Jess was at one of the news networks that I worked with very closely in my corporate job when I was working at a hospital system in Philadelphia. And so we followed each other on social media. And I saw this beautiful baby and all of her little personality. And she was so smiley, like, (laughs) and I feel like she always was like doing like little dances or you caught her in all these really cute moments. Like, (laughs) like her spirit really like reverberated off of the screen. Like she wasn't just like, oh, that's another baby. Like, I don't know. I feel like you knew Mila's picture when you saw it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Mila was the best. She was the best. She was so, like you said, so smiley. She laughed at a very early age. I think that she was like, I know every parent thinks their child is everything, but I think she was super smart. And I think that that was a gift to us. Like, I think that she was smarter and a little bit gifted. And I think like that, that helped us because she knew early on, like mommy, daddy, she had a lot of words. And so she was like wise beyond her years, if you will. And she loved to dance. She loved Bruce Springsteen, Ah. which is hilarious because my mom, got her into Bruce and she just like totally took to it. Like she wasn't like, she loved the wheels on the bus and some of the other kids songs, you know, but like she loved. Yeah. But she was like, throw on some born to run. Like, what is this? Mary had a little lamb. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. So like when we were, we were at chop and the, you know, the, the nurses would come in and be like, is there anything that she really likes? Like anything that we can toys, whatever. And I'm like, can you bring a big poster of Bruce Springsteen? (laughs) They did. And they put it on her crib and she would just, she loved it. She woke up. She's like, brew. Like she called that him. That is hysterical. Best. And so like, that's how we got through our days at CHOP. All the nurses knew, like we're in the PICU blasting 10th Avenue freeze out. And so like they would come in dancing and she'd be dancing and she was the best. Like she just, if she wasn't feeling well, she never let us know it ever. Really? So when mm-hmm. was the first sign that something wasn't quite right? everything was perfect when she was born. She did have a little heart murmur that they discovered in the hospital, but they, you know, doctors were like, no big deal. I would suggest like following up a CHOP cardiology and when she's a year old, but they're very common in newborns. So we never thought anything of that. And then when she was around three weeks old, we started to notice these birthmarks appearing on her back and there were like five of them. And so like little freckles or like certain types of, no, they were very, very faint, light Brown, birthmarks, like just in a circle in the middle of her back and like five kind of like in a pattern. And my husband and I were like, this isn't normal. And so at her one month appointment, 
like right before it. So at her appointment, we were like, what is this? And the doctor kind of brushed us off, like didn't really, she was like, oh, I'm not really sure. And so we went home and we were both like not feeling good from that. And we started playing Dr. Google and we Googled yeah, which everything. Which is like, which is one of what they tell you not to do as a new mom, but like, how could you not? But how could you not? So we did. And thank God we did, because one of the things that came up was neurofibromatosis, which is a genetic disease. We called the doctor back immediately. And we said, is this on your radar? And she said, honestly, it is, but I just want you to enjoy this time with her. And we were like, what? Like, if there's something wrong, we need to know. Like, we can't just sit here and play like rainbows and butterflies, like everything's yeah. okay. If something's wrong, we need to know. Long story short, we got her right into CHOP, a genetics and dermatology, and she was diagnosed with NF1. And it's a genetic disease where you could have so many different symptoms. No two people who have it have the same symptoms, but it's non-cancerous tumors can grow all over your body. Mm. That's the most common symptom. Some others are high blood pressure caused by vascular issues, skeletal abnormalities, learning disabilities. So anyway, we saw the top geneticist in the world. She said she has it. I was like, no, she doesn't. Cause I was in complete denial. This doesn't run, run in our family. Geneticist says, well, 50% of cases are just spontaneous. And this is wow. what happened with Mila. We got a blood test to confirm it. It confirmed it. And we got her right into CHOP, CHOP's NF department. And she basically was monitored every few months. She got some MRIs and different imaging done just to baseline, you know, baseline imaging to see like, this is where she's at at six months. Let's see, let's get her MRIs every six months to see if there are any tumors or something that pops up. Sure. She was living a very normal life. Everything was fine. She was growing normally meeting all of her milestones. And then at her one year follow-up for that heart murmur, the doctor, she had an EKG and an echo doctors like heart murmur is gone, but I see something then it's not right. And we need some more imaging. My heart sank. And I remember being at chat, holding Mila and looking out the window. And I remember it was like a dreary day. And I remember just thinking something's wrong. Something's very wrong. And we had to go home. Our appointment was two days later. Mm. Woke up. She had the sedated MRI for the first time they got her blood pressure taken. Um, They took her blood pressure, which she should have had it taken regularly at her appointments, but to get a blood pressure on a child under three is almost impossible. They scream, they cry, you get false positives. So she was sedated. They got her blood pressure. It was 240 over 110. Oh my God. Off the charts. They said she was like a medical miracle at that point. The fact that she hadn't had a stroke and died any day was oh like, Oh my God, my heart just dropped. Oh my God. They Im- immediately admitted her into CHOP and it was just, I became physically sick because I didn't know what was going on. You know, you're trying to be strong, but like, you don't know, you don't understand. You can't pro- like, and we kept hearing, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's causing this high blood pressure. We don't know. We don't know. And they finally determined that like after weeks, you know, they were just trying to get her blood pressure down. They put her on five different medications they determined that she had something called mid aortic syndrome and renovascular hypertension, which are vascular issues that were caused by her NF, which basically the size of her aorta was the size of a pencil tip. Oh, and wow. all of the blood in her body was trying to get through this little pencil tip. Yeah. Because of that, if you think of your heart as a muscle, the more you work out a muscle, the bigger it grows. Mm-hmm. Her heart was huge because of it. 
And same with her kidney arteries. So this needed to be corrected by surgery. Well, there are no pediatric uh, vascular surgeons at CHOP. You would think. Which is the number one hospital in the world. Children's hospital in the world in Philadelphia. And if they don't have it, that was probably a panic stricken moment for you. Right. Right. So they were like, we can either go to Boston or Michigan. And we had several interviews with the different teams there. And we determined, they determined, because we were relying on the doctors to tell us what to do. Because we that's an impossible choice for us to make. They determined that Michigan was best. And the plan for her was to put her on a, the short-term plan was to keep her on her medicines and keep her blood pressure down. And it never really got down to the correct level, but it did get down to a level where we will, we, we were able to go home. So we went home. The short-term plan was to keep her on these medicines. Long-term plan was an eight-hour surgery at the University of Michigan that we were hoping that she would get to three or four years old to get this surgery done when she was a little bit older and stronger. Mm -hmm. So we were home. So we came home from CHOP right before Christmas. We spent Thanksgiving and Hanukkah in the hospital, came home, and then we tried to keep life normal for her. We were seen on an outpatient basis and we still took her to music. She wasn't herself. One of the medications made her really lethargic. Mm. She was very swollen, but she was still happy Mila, you know, like even through all of this, she was still like wanting to dance, pointing to our phones to play Bruce, you know, playful, just tired, didn't like the swings anymore stopped liking things that used to make her happy. And then one day she got a cold and her blood pressure spiked. We, we were sent home with a blood pressure machine. So we would have to take it three times a day. Her blood vessels in her arm were popping. They were bright red because they were, the cuff would squeeze so tight. And we determined, the doctors determined that medical management was failing and she needed the surgery. So we drove out to Michigan. It was like a nine hour drive or something. And we stopped in Pittsburgh. She was having a blast. She loved the hotels. Uh-huh. Uh, we got to Michigan and she had the surgery and it was successful. And we were celebrating. It was an eight hour surgery. And we slept next to her that night in the ICU in the PICU. And she was on a ventilator. She knew that we were there. I remember that she tried to open her eyes. She knew we were there, but she, she was you know, she was on a ventilator. She was pretty much sedated. So the next morning um, at like four or five o'clock in the morning, the doctors woke us up and they were like, something's wrong. We've called the surgeon. She needs to go back into surgery. And all of a sudden there's like a hundred doctors in the room and they rushed her down to emergency surgery. The day before when she was in her surgery, we were getting updates constantly from the, from the operating room. And this was very different. We were not getting any updates. It was very quiet. And we started freaking out. And then the doctors called us into a room and they said that Mila went into cardiac arrest during the emergency surgery and that she lost oxygen to her brain for like eight minutes. And they didn't know what the next steps were, but they needed us to stay calm because they did see miracles happen from here. And we, we needed to start praying for a miracle. And she held on for another day. She was on life support. And then the next morning there was no, every, you know, her organs were failing and they said that it was time to say goodbye. And we, we said goodbye and it was, and you know, I live with that moment forever. And she died in my arms with Dan around me and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. So that's, you know, 
in the immediate after aftermath, you're just kind of like sitting there, like, is this my, you know, you just, you lose your world, you lose your whole world. And like, especially we were, we had a fight, you know, we were, we had a fight that we didn't want to give up that we would never give up on. And we lost. So like we lost the fight, we lost her, we lost our world and you just go into complete blackness and just, it was, it's awful. It was just awful. My heart completely goes out to you. I'm just like sitting here completely silent during all of this. There's nothing to even be able to say. Like, I wish that I could totally reverse that any of that happened to you because no one deserves that. You don't deserve that. Mila didn't deserve that. It's just devastating. You're right. Like there's not, that's just not supposed to happen. That's it. Yeah. It's not supposed to happen. And, you know, I feel so bad for her and that's, that's what really kills me because it's like, of course I feel bad for us, but I feel bad for her, this like lover of life. She had so much ahead of her and she'll never have anything. Like she has, like, she was so happy with her short life, but she'll never have, she'll never be able to go on a swing set again. She'll never be able to get married, like from the little things to the, to the big things. And that's what really makes me very sad. Yeah but you gave her the absolute best that you could in the time that she was here. And I know that's probably hard to see because all you look at is, is this failure as you call it. But I'm telling you from the outside world, we see it that you are one badass mother for <laughs> doing everything that you did, like making that life so fulfilling and so happy. I mean, you just said she's on the ride to the hospital and she's like, woo hospital. Like we're going to the hotels. We're having a road trip. Like you did that. You made her experience life to the fullest in the way that she did. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's, I try to take comfort in that, um, on my tough days. And when I really think about our whole journey, I try to just think, okay, well, she was happy. You know, she was a happy little girl. There was never any part of her who questioned what was going on. She wasn't older. She didn't, obviously she didn't understand what was going on. She just kind of went with the flow and, and she was happy throughout. Yeah. What were the months after like? So I don't really remember. Yeah. I remember totally bits. Yeah. I, I went into like a blackout yeah. and like, I, I remember, and you may have dealt with this too. Like, I remember I'm so hard on myself about this. Like at Shiva, I remember laughing with like some friends and then I think about that and like, they were making me laugh. Like it was okay yeah. for me to laugh, but I remember like, why was I doing that? Like, why was I laughing in that? And, but it's okay. Like, it's okay that, that I did that. So these are like, I remember little things. Like I remember the Shiva, I remember the funeral. And then we didn't go back to our apartment for months. And we stayed at my mom's because we couldn't be in her room. We couldn't be near like her toys, her fingerprints were still on the table. We're still on like a picture of me, her and Dan, like we called the mommy, daddy Mila picture and she would kiss it. Like her lip prints are on it. And I still have that picture. I'll never get rid of that. Yeah. Um, I'll never, I like have make sure it's in a very safe spot so that nothing never gets wiped. And so I do, Dan and I went away. We went to Punta Cana (laughs) because I was like, I need to feel sun. It was the, it was winter it was cold. It was awful. It was making it worse. Like we couldn't go on walks. We couldn't like, it was just, you know what I mean? I I needed to, I wanted to feel the sun. I wanted to feel warmth. I wanted to feel Mila. Mm -hmm. So we went to the beach 
I don't remember the plane ride. I don't remember getting to the airport. I remember that we were there and that we drank a lot and that we were in the sun. And those are like the little things that I remember. And then, and I was off work for three months and I remember staring at walls, you know, and, but I also remember that I had a very good support system. I have two best friends who are my rocks my husband, obviously my rock and my brother, my, my parents. And like, I'm very lucky that I have this support system who didn't judge me, who let me say, I hate everything. I hate you. Like I, you know, I was able to bring out my anger and they would never say to me, like they would never get upset or not be understanding. They would just kind of like, let me feel and go through everything. And same with Dan, thank God, my husband, Dan, like, thank God that we had each other and have each other. Tell me about that a little bit. Do you, cause I, I think that understanding child loss is one thing. And then it's like, maybe people can kind of get their head around it for the mother, but then it's like, they forget maybe that the father is even a part of it. Or like, they forget that siblings are even a part of it. You hear so many times of people who lo- lose a sibling and people say to them, oh, how's your mom doing? And it's like, well, my right. mom's doing terrible, but I am too. Like, why are you right. talking to me about it? How did it affect your relationship with Dan, if at all? And how, I guess, were there times that you ever had to say to people like, hey, he's going through this too? Yeah, I don't think I ever had to say that, but I will say with Dan, so Dan, uh, Dan's mom passed away just a few years before this Mm. too. He's had just tremendous amount of loss for, especially his age. So to lose a mother and your daughter within a certain period of time, so close to each other, like he couldn't go to his mom. Like my mom has become like a mom to him, but he grieves differently than I do. He's more inward, I guess, where men are like that. And I'm more lashing out, right? Because mm-hmm. more stereotypical. But we balance each other. And I think like that's how it works. And I know that like a lot of parents break up and things happen after the loss of a child. And I could never imagine that because we're Mila's parents. We came together, we had her, and we, you know, we I just I I almost feel like it. And this isn't to knock anybody else. And I want to be clear about that. But for me, I almost felt like it would be a slap in the face to Mila for anything to happen to me and Dan, Um, you know? And so anyway, Dan, you know, Mila's daddy's little girl, and they had like this most special, amazing bond ever. And I have to pull things out of him once in a while. Like, how are you feeling today? How are you? Cause like, he won't voluntarily talk about it. I think he's very, very too painful for him. Just like. I think it is with his mom too, but you know, we've gone to therapy and then he's kind of like therapy's not for me. And he deals with his grief the way he does. And I deal with it the way I do. And we just make it work. The biggest part is the understanding and the communication. Like you said, he grieves differently than me. And sometimes we just have to talk about it. And knowing that is half the battle. I think when we see couples that try to, or expect the partner to want to grieve the way that they do or whatever, or not understanding in that their grief is they need to go out on an hour long run every single day. And that just needs to be okay and accepted because that is them processing it. Whereas you may process it differently. So well, kudos to you guys. I want to go back to, you talked about this pediatric blood pressure testing and how that's not something that is necessarily standardized. And it's so interesting because in us talking about it, I was like, Hmm, I don't know that I remember Sienna ever getting her blood pressure taken. Like it's, I guess we just think of it as so normal, like it's so part of the routine and our doctor appointments, our primary care, our hospital stays. 
I, I would like assume they did it for my daughter, but you're right. I don't know that they, they ever do. So that's something with the Magical Meal Foundation that you are trying to raise awareness for and to make standardized in hospitals, which is amazing. And I commend you for it. Tell us about that journey. Right. So Sienna is 17 months old. So, and she's a healthy little girl, thank God. Not the wood. And so you wouldn't even have to worry about this because the American Academy of Pediatrics requires their guideline is that children under age three do not need their blood pressure taken unless they're high risk, which we agree with that. That's, that's fine. The problem is, is to get a blood pressure, a correct blood pressure reading on these high risk children is next to impossible because when you put a blood pressure cuff on a baby and it squeezes, the baby cries. Mm -hmm. And when a baby's upset, you can't get an accurate reading. So it's, it's next to impossible. And the other thing is, is a lot of times on these kids. And when I say high risk, I mean, anyone from a genetic disease to a baby born prematurely to transplant patients, to patients with heart issues, those are high risk kids. So they scream and they cry. And so what we're doing is we at CHOP, our foundation has raised more than $300,000 to date. We quit started it after Mila passed away and we did a successful clinical trial at CHOP where they take blood pressure a little bit differently with a different device and it's not painful for the kids. Mm. Um, and they're getting accurate readings. And they're also, we um, set up an, an alert system in CHOP's medical system where they'll get an alert if a patient is high risk and needs their blood pressure taken. The other thing is, is that a lot of these medical staff are taking it on the leg on these babies and young kids. And that's not accurate. You have to get, take it on the right upper arm. That's the only way to detect high blood pressure. So that's what we're doing. And we're rolling out into blood into primary care right now at CHOP. It's really game changer. We've been told that we're changing the culture at CHOP. And so we hope to, we're getting on, on the radar of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We're letting them know that their guidelines aren't being followed and we're proof. Had Mila had an accurate blood pressure when she was three months old, would her story be, be different? Yes, it would be. They would have detected her high blood pressure, but she would have been in the hospital her whole life. So there's you know a lot of different um, angles to that. So there's a lot of things that go into that, but we are changing the game and we're really proud of how far we've come. I'm sitting here with like a knot in my stomach and I'm like crying probably more so than I did when you even told the story of her passing because I'm just so proud of you and I see how passionate you are about this and it's like the most beautiful thing and you probably know way more about blood pressure and pediatrics than you ever thought that you would. That's the other thing I want to hone in. Like Jess is not a medical professional. Like you <laughs> have now made this your life and to see you just like spout that all off as if it's second nature. And like Mila is so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Everyone around is so proud of you. And I, I want to know for you, like, how has this been for your grief to be able to do this foundation? Because I know for me and, and what I'm doing here was so sorry for your loss, which is like nothing peanuts compared to what you're doing and like actually physically affecting people's lives. <laughs> when I get messages from people saying how I'm helping them, that is like a bandaid on my own grief because I can say, at least this isn't for nothing. Like I, I want to make something good come out of this. If this horrible thing had to happen. Right. But with child loss, is that even a thing that you can say, or how, how is this? 
Is it helping you? Is this just going through the motions because you have to do something? Like, are there any positive feelings or of growth that you can make from this foundation? So my, the foundation is so very quickly after Mila passed away. And I mean, within weeks, Dan and I were like, we need to continue. We need to do something to honor her. Yeah. And we thought of this and we had met with her doctors. And I think that the foundation is at least my way of still parenting Mila. So yeah. it's like, I parent Liam, my son, I parent Meadow, my daughter, obviously they're here, but how can I parent Mila who's no longer here? And that is through the foundation, which takes up my time daily. And it is my way of, okay, even though I can't physically hold her, all right, I'm still talking about her every day in her condition and I'm fighting for her. Like I lost the fight, but the fight still continues. I lost the big fight, right? But the the journey is still continuing through this foundation. And so I resent it, of yeah. course. I, I resent it because I'm like, at the end of the day, why me? Why am I the one who has to, to create this foundation to be on these phone calls to, to understand blood pressure in children under three? Why me? Why not someone else? So that is very, very difficult for me. I absolutely resent it too but I need it. I need it. And I, and it's my way of keeping her here with me, I guess. I love the way you said that, that it's your way of, of parenting her now. I think that's really sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so best of luck with you in that foundation. I mean, we're going to link as, as much information as we can about it in the show notes. So listeners, I really encourage you to go check it out. Um, this month even is NF Awareness Month. So we want to make sure we shout that out. And then yeah. you're going to have some fundraisers. You do an annual party in the summer at the Jersey Shore. So we'd love you guys, all the listeners to go and, and check that out as well. I want to talk about how your profession probably doubled down on your yep. grief as you were working in the the news industry at a morning show which is geared towards women and mothers as they're watching it in the morning getting their kids ready for school so many segments about children so many segments about loss e even just what we went through in covid i mean loss was an everyday aspect of the news were there times in your career that it became a little overbearing oh yeah like i said i went back to work three three months after i lost mila and thank god i did because like i said i was kind of just staring at a wall so this going back to work i think and i've told my coworkers, my that it saved me. I was able to laugh again and have fun again on a daily basis and have my mind distracted most importantly. But it, it also killed me at times because I was the leader of the show. And, you know, every day we had a post-show meeting and we would listen to, we'd brainstorm segments for the next day. And like you said, we're geared toward women and moms and we're doing segments about children and oftentimes sick children. And, you know, especially so close when it, when the loss of Mila was so raw, it, it was very overwhelming for me. And there were times where I had to either not be part of meetings, step out of uh, the control room during certain segments, walk away. I'll never forget that we had a segment on with a dad who was donating like kids cars to chop or something like that. I forget exactly what it was, but he had in studio a car that Mila had, and it was a pink car. And I lost my, can I curse? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I lost my shit. And I had, to, I had to leave the control room. I remember my two of my coworkers followed me outside and I was going nuts. I was, I was bawling. And so it was very triggering at times. And I also felt like you're a leader. You have to kind of 
be strong and get through this. And that was also tough too. Cause then I would just go home and I would just lay there and I'd be like, you, you know, you got through the day, you got through the day. And, and like, I would just have to give myself pep talks. So work was so helpful, but there were definitely times where it was very, very difficult. Yeah. And it certainly takes a lot out of you too. Like you oh. said, it's like, oh yeah, you get through the day. And then sometimes I would come home and be like, how did I just do that? Because yeah. now I can't even wash my face, brush my hair. I can't even think about turning on the stove to make dinner. Right. But wait, I just like banged out all these meetings at work. It was just like your adrenaline kind of kicks in sometimes for that type of stuff. Yeah. And my coworkers were so supportive too. Like they, you know, they were in it with me. They, they knew they, they were with me every step of the way. They knew if one of our planners knew about a segment that might trigger me, they would say, Hey, just so you know, if you want to walk out. So like they were very, they took care of me. So that was like really important to me too. Like it really was a family there. I, I was, I'm very grateful for that at least. Good. Good. I'm glad that you had that. Yeah. I am sure there were many instances where that was not necessarily the case. As we all know, with grief, people can kind of stumble on their words or say some things that don't really feel good to the person on the receiving end of that. What were some of the things to you that people would say that were triggering? Everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. That was something like, I'm like, well, what, what, <laughs> What, what is the reason? Tell me what the reason is. She's in a better place now. Well, what better place could she be than with me? With you. Like, what, yeah. What's the better place? Tell me, please tell me what the better place is because mm -hmm. I'd love to hear it. What, after I had my other kids, you know, well, at least you have your other children to which like, sometimes, yeah, to which I want to say like, well, what child could you live without? So there's that. And then people also like people who don't know you who are, and, and these people are not trying to hurt your, your feelings. They're just trying to say things that they think are right. And it's, it's, it's just sad because people don't yeah. know what to say as, as we've talked about, but also people don't know me or like they, they look at me in a grocery store or somewhere. Oh, I I've gotten, Oh, a boy and a girl, the perfect family. So like all of these things, like with just, they're, they're just, you go home and cry. Yeah. You just go home and cry. So people want to help, but these, I just encourage people to really think about what you're saying. Don't size somebody up. If you don't know them, you don't know what, you never know what someone's going through. through. No, I a hundred percent. I was thinking back to the, like you, you said, you don't even remember the plane ride in Punta Cana, but like, Oh, going to Punta Cana. People think, Oh, everybody's on right. vacation. They want to have fun. They're about to have like such a lovely time. Why is it? Why is anybody in a mood right now? Right. It's like, well, right. because we're going through something a little difficult. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> you don't exactly. know what anyone's going through. Exactly. And that's, we, we just kind of kept to ourselves on that trip. Um, like who's this crazy lady crying by the pool? Like, <laughs> but you know, like exactly right. Like, Oh, these two people on vacation in Punta Cana. Well, maybe they're running. Maybe they're trying to get away from something. And yeah, you think, oh, they went on vacation. That sounds really nice. Well, maybe it was to just go be by themselves and to talk about Mila 24 seven and to just try to process and be, feel closer. Like I, like I said, you don't know what people are going through. Yeah. So yeah. with the, the, the comments that you had said in terms of like, oh, at least you have your other children or she's in a better place now. Ugh. I think like people only say those things because it's like, it's like filler, right? They don't know what to say, but those are like the templates that society has put out to say, okay, you can say this to somebody when they're grieving, but we're starting to see like, no, that's not appropriate. That's not good. We don't like that. We don't know who told you that was okay. So my hope is 
And with shows like this, with accounts like everything that's addressing grief, we're, we can change the language around it. So yeah. I, I do ask people, you know, what they like to be told. So what are experiences that you've had of people that have said things to you or done things for you in your time of grief that have been very comforting and that you would suggest for others to do? The most comforting thing to me was people who leveled with me, right? Who were just, they weren't trying to give me advice and they weren't trying to make me feel better. And they would just come and sit with me and say, this sucks and let me cry and not tell me I'm strong. Just let me feel weak. Let me let me feel this. I, I always appreciated, like, I'm proud of you because like that it's such, you know, just to get out of bed, to take a shower, to do these things, like these things that people take for granted. Like that was a big deal for me. I brushed mm -hmm. my hair today. Like, mm -hmm. um, I'm proud of Good. you. I'm you glad know? you felt that too, because yeah, <laughs> that was always one of my biggest things. I'm like, uh, you can literally know how I'm feeling by like the yeah. way that my hair would look because if yeah. I just, yeah. That's right. And like, I, you know, I didn't wear makeup for a year after Mila passed away. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I, I felt like a different person and I am a different person, but I couldn't look at myself. I was like disgusted with myself and as horrible as that sounds. So like, you know, I'm proud of you, you, you know, and this shouldn't have happened and just let yourself feel this. And then just like people who went on walks with me, like I'll never forget, you know, Mike Jerk, my, one of my coworkers came over and went on a long walk with me um, down Boathouse Row, Kelly Drive, like places that he knew that I was with Mila. And like, like that meant a lot to me, like yeah. little, th like little things like that. It wasn't like, let's get you to eat something or let's like, if he was like, what do you want to do? Let's go on yeah. a walk. Just and, being, just being right, there. Right. So those, those things, I think just being there, letting someone feel and leveling and not giving advice. I think that that's like the most helpful thing ever. Which I love that you're saying that because that's one of the things that I think about the most around this is that when you, when somebody that you love goes through a tough time and loses somebody, like you want to do whatever you can to take that pain away. So you feel like it has to be the perfect thing. It has to be something so big mm -hmm. and that's where it becomes overwhelming. So people just don't do anything or they say the wrong thing because they don't know what to do. Yeah. When the running theme throughout this podcast is people saying it was just the simple things. It was just someone being there. It was just someone saying, I love you. It was just someone saying this sucks. So I'm glad you're supporting this thesis that I yeah. have and that the simplicity Spot is on. really key. Spot yeah. on. Don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Yeah. We're going to close out here soon, but I, I want to know from you, what advice do you have for others that are going through this? I mean, there's, yeah, ugh, I, I hate that you have to be the one to give the advice, but you've, you've been through it. I think you're handling it with such grace. And, and I love the way that you, you said you keep Mila's name like woven through your children. So obviously Liam is the letters and Mila reconfigured and Meadow with the, the M in, in honor of Mila and how they know Liam knows all about her. And you just have these beautiful ways of honoring her, especially with the foundation. But what is it that you would suggest to others that are in your shoes? The first thing I would say is to get a therapist and um, this is yes. easier said than done because, um, the first person you see is likely not the person for you. I mean, you're very lucky if you like your first therapist, that's amazing. I went through like three before I found someone who I really, really loved and who really, I felt like not got me, but just knew what to do. I remember the first therapist I went to told me I didn't look so good. Um, what? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, did you want me to blow dry my hair today? Like I didn't, you know, so like, yeah, fine. And that was like your first time seeing her. Yeah. 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 I remember my hair was like up here. What? Oh my God. Yeah. So find a therapist, a good one and, and follow through with it. Like, you know, the more you talk, even this podcast right now, the more you talk and tell the story, I think that it helps you process. Right. So I didn't tell like the full story of what happened to Mila until like several therapy sessions in. And I remember like it was a big session. And afterwards I just felt like, wow, like I, I'm, this is happening and, and this happened. And so it helps you process. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing would be to channel your grief into something to honor your child. So like we have the foundation and it could be anything. We also have a garden for Mila that is Where at- is that? So it was at the school that she was supposed to be going to and that our son now goes to, like it's like a little preschool and the kids go and they have like story time in it. Cute. And oh. Yeah, there's like little musical elements in it, like harps and, and like little ladybug step stool thing. And it's, it's adorable. It's very like magical, if you will. And so that would be something else. So channel your grief into honoring them. And then the last thing is like when people offer to help you, whether it's getting you coffee, filling your fridge, you know, just a phone call, take them up on it. Let people help you. Like if they're offering, they genuinely mean it. So let them help you and don't feel like you just need to be alone because child loss and grief is the loneliest journey you'll ever go on. And no two people have the same journey. You will already feel alone. Get the company that you need. Let people help you. The listeners can't see this, but I am nodding my head vigorously at this. When people offer to help you, let them. (laughs) They really mean it. They really want to. You Mm -hmm. cannot do this all on your own. It is totally fine to accept the help. You said something earlier about putting so much pressure on yourself and feeling like like you were doing something wrong and like such a failure in the beginning and in the grief. And that is something that resonated with me. I felt that too. I looked back at it and it was like two weeks out after my dad passed. I was like, why do I still feel this way? Why right. I need to like get up. I need to do this. And then like a year later, and even now I look at, it, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe I said that to myself, or I can't believe yeah. I was trying to do X, Y, and Z by myself. I should have t- taken everybody up on that offer. And it's, it's so, so true. So yes. It's, yeah, it's true. So people do love you. Let them, let them love you. Oh, very <laughs> cute. Perfect little quote to end on anything yeah. else that you would like to add today. Just thank you. Thank you for everything. And you're amazing. And oh, thank you. Thank for you. Me I this think you're form. amazing. Best of luck to you and your two little ones here, your little one above and the Magical Mila Foundation. Again, to our listeners, I will link all the information there and make sure you connect with Jess too. It seems like you're willing to, to talk with people as well. So, all right. Well, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned.